0: mosehead and welcome to winner take all we talk about the constant battle to fight back and win against big tech you know we have some progress in that journey but you know big tech is also making some moves unfortunately we got some updates on amazon's advancement into b2b with amazon business you know then we've got some just kind of fun topics which you know which i'll start start out with those um so let's start with some of the fun ones you know there's been a lot of talk about this live. So let me preface this. If you are um, an avid golf fan, you, <laughs> and you like this show, then you may want to stop listening to the show. Uh, because <laughs> I feel like we've got a lot of golf fans on the show. And so I'm a little bit weary of um, annoying some of you who are big PGA supporters. Now, here's why. Uh, I come at this purely from a kind of, again, a, a, a platform uh, perspective on it. But if you think about the way these sports leagues operate, right, um, they're kind of platforms, right? You have the clubs and the fans. And if you are a player, it's a monopoly, right? There's really only one place that you can go, one league, uh, that you can go, one platform monopoly that you can go to play that sport. And, um, you know, if if you get in trouble with the league or if you have different beliefs with the league or whatever it is, you have your differences with the league, uh, well, then it's pretty much the league's way or the highway. There used to be two competing leagues with the NFL and then the NFL has consolidated its power. You know, if you now look at the world of just major league sports, pretty much all of the major league sports today really only have one one league. That wasn't always how it was. Right. If you look back over the past two decades, I'm not a sports expert. But if you look at different sports, there was there wasn't always this idea that it's just it was it was one league and and that was it. Right. Um, Now, that is currently the state of play except for in golf. And in golf, you now have kind of the, the Saudis who have, who have bankrolled a competitive golf league called Live with billions and billions of dollars. And it's got a lot of golf fans grumpy. Um, they've gotten some, whether you like them or not, relatively high profile names. Uh, Liv has gotten them to go to this league Phil Mickelson was one of you know, the, the kind of catalysts for this to happen, supposed to have like a $200 million deal with Liv, and um, you know, the PGA isn't happy about it. What's interesting is in the world of platforms, and the world of monopolies, when you have two competing platform monopolies, that actually does benefit the players. It also can benefit the, the consumers as well. Generally, more competition is a good thing, not a bad thing. There are a lot of fans that would probably you know, disagree. They hate the idea that you know, these, these traders to the game are going to live and it's become a very contentious topic. But what's interesting to me is to see what happens in the world of golf, when now you actually do have two competing platform monopolies. Or just two competing platforms. Live is still a fledgling uh, platform, and we'll see if just tons of money can can have them create a, a viable platform competitor to the monopoly, platform monopoly that is the PGA. I'll tell you right now, if the Saudis are only in this thing for like two or three years and they expect to see some, they expect to see some kind of critical mass after two or three years, boy. Um, are they in for a rude awakening? I think this is a five plus year, uh, endeavor. And hopefully they have that long-term timeline if, if they have any hope of, of earning their money back. Um, but you know, what's interesting to see is, well, money was, I think one of the main reasons or the main reason why Mickelson and Dustin Johnson and others, you could argue are kind of past their prime or maybe not even an argument. Everyone would agree I don't know. Maybe not Dustin, whatever. Um, This isn't about the golf players and I'm not a a golf expert, but magically once live was announced, then the PGA started announcing like multiple other PGA tournaments with like $20 million, like bonus purses or whatever it is. Right. So now the PGA has started to make changes to the league, roll out additional events with additional dollars at stake, right? You're seeing the PGA react in a way which is more beneficial to the players and then scheduling more tournaments, which then helps who? The fans and consumers, right? So you're seeing the PGA respond in a way that makes them quote unquote more competitive. Okay, so now this was hilarious. So um, you had Jay Monahan, who is the commissioner of the PGA, and he says, as I also said to the players yesterday, let me be clear, I am not naive. If this is an arms race, and if the only weapons here are dollar bills, the PGA Tour can't compete. The PGA Tour, an American institution, can't compete with a foreign monarchy, Saudi Royals, that, are, that is spending billions of dollars in an attempt to buy the game of golf. This is a weak statement these comments would not have made it into my public conjecture about live i'm going to get to what what i would have done in a second but monahan had addressed the pga tour playing quota in a mandatory meeting ahead of this week's event in connecticut in which he revealed a similar eight event lucrative series to challenge the live golf model right so now they're rolling out more events magically well why didn't you do this before monahan Oh well, you know we didn't have the money, right? Okay, uh huh, sure. When platforms compete, it's all out war. It is win at all costs, right? Anyone go see um, the Uber uh, the Uber miniseries, right? It is win at all costs, and for Uber they'll break the laws, but it's win at it all legal costs. Let's say, right? What will be interesting to see how aggressive Jay plays this is what are the things that a lot of these players really covet more than money are the majors, right? There are four majors. You got the U S open, the British open, which just played it was a phenomenal match, um, the masters and PGA championship. Um, so obviously, so if I am Jay Monahan, what I'm doing right now is trying to figure out how I block out anyone that joins live from participating in any and all of those four majors. I would be, aggressively pursuing that, um, that you're basically going to be blacklisted from playing in, in those most coveted tournaments. Uh, Obviously PGA championship, (laughs) um, no live player is going to play in. And then the other tournaments, you have to have kind of a, a, a world ranking this point system. So now there's a, I guess, you know, murmurings that the way live will get around this is their players could play in like the Asian tournaments and then achieve ranking through, you know, like reciprocity with the Asian tournament, Asian circuit. And that's how, you know, the, the Kepka and Deshambeau and Dustin Johnson's of the world could achieve ranking to then be in contention to still play in, let's say at least two or three of the four, Majors. If I'm Jay, I'm figuring out a way to to block, to cut off all four of those majors, like right now. And I'm and I'm signaling to the market. I'm talking about how, yeah, you guys do this, you're not ever gonna play in any major again. Even if that's not a true statement, you gotta be aggressively out there saying it's uh uh-uh, we're cutting you off. You go to the dark side, right? You're cut off you can't get back in. Like aggressive. You got to be aggressive. You can't do this like passive aggressive, like, oh, well, it's just about money and we can't compete about money and blah, 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 blah. Uh Uh-uh. Wrong tone. This is war. You're at war. And even if you try and go finagle this thing out in Asia, we're going to cut you off there too, right? We'll cut off Asia. Like war. War. Aggressive. I do think it's a very interesting exercise and a very interesting example of platform competition, right? And what does what strategies are the Saudis using? Basically, monetary subsidies out the wazoo, billions and like potentially infinite money. They're locking in. You know, we'd call this like a double marquee strategy. So, uh, in the game of golf, you know, you don't have clubs, right? It's really just kind of players and fans and. Um, so if you treat the players as a producer, um, double marquee strategy, not only does every additional player you bring, we saw this with uh, Microsoft Mixer um, bringing Ninja over the, the competitor to Twitch, and it didn't work out for Microsoft Mixer, but Microsoft wasn't in it for the long haul. They, like, they cut the cord after like 18 months. So you pay a bunch of money to a few leading producers that are going to bring you both audience and Help you get more validation and help you get more producers to come. Classic strategy. I think if the Saudis stick it out for like five years, they got a shot at actually being a true rival, actually having kind of like a two league golf system. That's where this this gets interesting with with Liv kind of recruiting these high profile uh, US golfers. Do I think they win? I don't think they do. I just don't know if they really have a five plus year time horizon, right? I feel like maybe it's not a Microsoft mixer at 18 months, but if they're thinking three years, it's too short. You really got to think long term about this one. And then I think you got a shot and many billions and billions of dollars um, in the red until you see something. So um, I just don't know if they really have that in them. But maybe they do. If they do, then I'm wrong. We'll see. Another kind of just fun video, just state of affairs. This is not a partisan thing. The unfortunate truth is that so many members of our government and our Congress uh, don't have this country's best interests in mind and they are profiting. They're making so much money. You got people going into Congress. You make like a couple hundred thousand dollars a year leaving after being there for decades, worth tens of millions of dollars. And it's not just Democrats and it's not just Republicans. It's both sides. They're all enriching themselves and frankly frankly, doing a disservice to the country's interests, right? Like, You can't tell me that you just magically made tens of millions of dollars being in Congress for decades and like actually voted and, and carried out your duties and purely for the, for the country's betterment, right? Like, no way. No way. So now you have the, um, there's this hilarious, just now this is like meme mania and it's meme gold, frankly, where Nancy Pelosi um, has been basically turned, in, turned into like a hedge fund meme where her husband has like a, basically a trading portfolio And now you have traders that watch what her husband trades to try and get cues on what to do in the stock market. So literally the news was Nancy Pelosi's husband just invested eight million dollars into NVIDIA days before they brought this bill to vote called the chips, the chips bill. Senate advances more than 50 billion dollar bill to boost US semiconductor production. I like the theme of this frankly. We got it we this is the kind of stuff we should be looking to do. Um I again I don't know of the 50 billion. I'm sure a bunch of this is is being used for unrelated things and and there's a bunch of pork and waste in here. So, but conceptually I like the theme of the bill. And unfortunately, you know, this bill which thematically is spot on for the kind of stuff we should be doing gets dragged down by you know this stuff where yeah Pelosi's husband magically had 8 million dollars worth of call options on Nvidia stock now we have a bill that's being brought <laughs> hilariously being called the Pelosi Act okay so why has this happened basically congress has the ability to do insider trading it's actually legal right so when i say they're corrupt Unfortunately, they're not breaking the law, but it's still corrupt. Congress has the ability to trade on confidential information and material information that congressmen learn of while doing their job. And now they've basically turned this and abused this and made a lot of money, like a lot of money on this. Nancy Pelosi's position is the speaker does not own any stocks. As you can see, uh, these transactions are marked as spouse. It's disrespectful. Right? Like it's it just, it's so egregious. It's just right in your face. Oh, no, I, I don't trade any stocks, but, yo, know, I mean, my husband, I mean, he trades stocks. Oh, but we don't talk. Like he had no idea the chips bill was about to be voted on and we were going to give $50 billion to the semiconductor companies. Yeah, he had, he had no clue. Will the Pelosi Act get any traction? No. Unfortunately, because There's too many people with, with their hand in, in the honeypot. And then Nancy Pelosi gets interviewed saying, well, hey, did you, know, did you discuss any business dealings with your husband? And she says no and abruptly walks off the stage. It's not just Nancy Pelosi. But you know all these people are corrupt. Like You don't, you don't buy a $30 million house in Palm Beach being a good public servant. It doesn't happen. And it's really unfortunate. It's both sides, both of these frankly, corrupt congressmen. I don't, I don't think it's fixable. No, I think we've reached the the point of no return. It's just, it's too embedded in the culture. There's no term limits. You can't get rid of these people. I would love to be proven wrong, but yeah, no, I, I don't see it going away. We are too divided as a nation to rally together on this and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. We got to put the partisan politics and the, the divisiveness behind us and say, yeah, if you're in Congress, like, you or your spouses or you guys shouldn't be making money off of this, right? That's not allowed. Even your relatives, right? Like make it really sticky. That's the other problem. We also have laws in place that just aren't being upheld. So it's, uh, there's just too much of this. It's just, it's just corruption. We got new data out on Amazon business and their GMV. You know, we've been tracking Amazon Business's GMV very closely over the years, obviously in 2018, um, we correctly predicted amazon businesses g m v three months before they even announced it because we had scrapers and we're kind of tracking what they're selling. so we predicted ten billion in g m v in like the summer of twenty eighteen and then a few months later they came out and 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 announced that they were on track for ten billion. We didn't predict this, but then Amazon disclosed that they were doing twenty five billion in g m v in twenty twenty and now we've got recent data from Bank of America researchers saying that it looks like Amazon did $31 billion in 2021. And Bank of America is increasing their estimate to put Amazon business at $41 billion in 2022. Bank of America, I guess, had previously estimated that they would do $31 billion in 2022. So they're saying that would be up from from 31 billion in 2022. Now they're expecting to do 41 billion in 2022. And then you look at the chart and it shows that they did, Amazon actually did 31 billion in 2022. So a little bit of weirdness there, but, but you, know, the, you know the interesting thing to keep in mind with this is Amazon business over the past couple of years has been expanding internationally into other markets. So if you were to look at these numbers, Uh, through 2018, 2019, 2019 is really when Amazon business just started to go to Europe and then maybe, you know, more like end of 2019, 2020, and then certainly the past couple of years now, Amazon business has been much more heavily investing in, 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 in European expansion. But these numbers actually seem low to me. If you think about their U.S. penetration, and they're not breaking out how much of this is from the U.S. versus how much of this is from Europe. If these were just U.S. numbers, I would, I would be impressed. These are great numbers if it's just in the U.S. But then you have to understand that Amazon is siphoning off so much demand for this Amazon business product from existing consumers, right? So they siphon off... You know, your industrial supplies, your kind of MRO, your more easily pack and shippable items. We know that there's actually a number of B2B distributors, billion dollar distributors selling through Amazon business and and enabling that stuff to happen, uh, interestingly enough. But Amazon's now in multiple European countries. And so that's just net new greenfield opportunity, right? Like, hey, launch the thing. Boom. Uh, hey, now you can, as a consumer, millions and millions of consumers in Europe. Hey, now you can get an Amazon business account. There's perks to have an Amazon business account. Probably a lot of that spend or a chunk of that spend was already happening on Amazon, just wasn't listed as Amazon business. It was just listed as Amazon. So, how much of this is actually net new growth versus just like a like a, a recategorization of business spend when there was no Amazon business option in Europe. I think people are hyping this number a lot. It's a big number. Look at the projection, 83 billion in uh, 2025. If you look at what we projected, we projected that Amazon business, if they did 10 billion in 2018, 25 billion in 2020, then Amazon business should, should be doing more than 75 billion in GMV At the end of 2023. So, from 2020, if they did 25 billion, that they should be able to certainly more than double, if not get close to uh, tripling themselves. So, adding another 50 billion in volume in three years. Why is that? Because these things aren't supposed to grow linearly, right? They're supposed to grow like a hockey stick. If you're properly capturing kind of these winner take all, winner take most network effects. And what you have to understand about B2B is: yes, it's B2B, but you know, each one of these verticals has its own level of nuance. And there's a bunch of different verticals within B2B. RBC, let's look at what RBC projected. RBC said in 2019, Amazon will do. billion in GMV by the end of 2023. And then we said, no, this should be more like 70, 75. Because we saw like, yeah, you're going to Europe and you're expanding and da, 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 right? And all these kinds of things. Now, Bank of America is basically agreeing with that and saying, yeah, 53 billion by the end of 2023. So I'm not saying Amazon business isn't making gains and isn't a threat. They're a tech monopoly. These aren't small volumes. They're growing. But B2B is just so big. Um, each one of these industries is 100 plus billion dollars. Each one of these verticals. And Amazon Business has had some leadership leave. Uh, like some of the leadership went to um, Office Depot's. The Office Depot is trying to do a marketplace competitor. And the numbers are good. The numbers aren't great, frankly. Could COVID have impressed upon business customers... To, to slow the shift to Amazon business, right? Relatively, it's still a shift. It's not like the shift isn't happening to marketplace and all this stuff, right? But to just reaffirm the importance of actually having the supply chain capability and owning the inventory, right? Amazon business, a huge part of this model is to have third-party sellers contribute inventory. B2B distributors are... Asset heavy, they're buying inventory and reselling inventory, right? So supply chain chaos. Um, how do you get the inventory? Well, is the inventory actually going to make its way into the marketplace when you can't get the stuff in the first place? Maybe, maybe if you're pre- price gouging, right? But I, I, I think there's an interesting story as to why it isn't a bigger gain. It's a gain. But yeah, could COVID have slowed this a little bit? Not a lot, but a little bit. Um. Possibly. The other story is, could the B2B marketplace startups take a little bit of heat and competition against Amazon? That's also another possible likelihood, right? So in in this study that we published last summer, we're going to update it soon here, our top 50 B2B marketplace ranking. We estimate that our top 50 B2B marketplaces in aggregate this was as of 2020 data. we published it in Q2 of 2021, We're kind of looking at 2020 data, um, where Amazon business did 25 billion in GMV. We estimated that the top 50 players did about 75 to 100 billion um, in GMV, right? So collectively, three to four times the volume of Amazon business. We're going to be looking at what those numbers are and updating those numbers. That'll be coming out soon. So stay tuned for that hit that subscribe button to make sure you get those updates. I think, yeah, two things probably could contribute to why maybe the gains weren't as, fa- as, as fast or as big as I'm sure some people inside of Amazon would have hoped, which is one, COVID, and two, there is a lot more competition from B2B marketplace startups than if you rewind the clock 20 years ago in B2C. That's it for us today on Winner Take All. Thank you very much for joining us. I'll talk to you soon.